Section 15 of the Roman Empire of the Second Century by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6. The Attitude of the Imperial Government Towards the Christians. Part 1. For a century or more the imperial government took little notice of the Christian Church as the organized form of a distinct religion. It knew it chiefly as a Jewish sect, as a fitting object for suspicion or contempt, but not commonly for active persecution. The race, indeed, with which they classed it was peculiarly distasteful to the Roman rulers, as fanatical and unruly, and stirred at times by inexplicable moods of wild excitement. After the terrible struggle of a war almost of extermination, they had risen in fierce revolt in Palestine, Cyprus, and Egypt, in all the great centres of industry and trade in which they spread they gained a name for turbulence and strife and obstinate self-assertion yet for themselves at least their national worship was respected for the policy of rome found a place in its pantheon for the gods of all the countries of the empire and all might live together unmolested side by side but when they tried to be aggressive to make proselytes even in the streets of rome and to unsettle men's traditional beliefs the civil power stepped in to check and to chastise the disturbers of the public peace it was thus that in the old days of the republic senate and consuls oftentimes took measures to stay the progress of the eastern creeds when they claimed a right of settlement at rome and the rulers of the early empire acted in like spirit as defenders of the national faith when it was menaced by what they thought the intolerant bigotry of the jewish zealots in the reign of tiberius for example large numbers of such aliens whose uncouth superstitions seemed to spread contagion round them were flung into the island of sardinia to live or die as it might happen in the miasma of that pestilential climate in the days of claudius again we read of a disturbance among the jewish immigrants which grew to such a height as to be followed by a summary edict of general banishment from rome the strange words of suetonius in which he speaks of the impulse given by a certain crestus to the tumult impulsori cresto tumultuantes point probably to hot disputes and variance caused among the synagogues by the ferment of the new christian teaching the disturbance was soon quieted and the peremptory order was withdrawn or followed only by the departure of the leading spirits and the little christian church lived for a time securely screened from notice and attack under the shelter of the legalized religion of the jews with which it was commonly confused in the fancy alike of the people and of their rulers but the story of pomponia graecina serves to show that these exclusive creeds might not with impunity overleap the barriers of race and social class a noble roman lady was accused of tampering with new forms of superstition and tried according to the rule of ancient days before a family council formed by her husband and her nearest kinsman after her acquittal we are told that she shunned the world of fashion and lived for years a sober life of meditation ecclesiastical historians have commonly believed that they could read in the somewhat scornful language of the heathen writer a description of the early type of christian devotion the story of the cruelties of nero paints in far more lurid colours the growing hatred of the populace and the constant dangers of the infant church which now for the first time 
clearly appears to view in the pages of the classical historians the butchery and the tortures were indeed a mere freak of unscrupulous ferocity by which the emperor thought to divert men's minds from the great fire which had made so many thousands homeless or at least to discharge the lowering thunderclouds of popular discontent upon the heads of the poor christian artisans and freedmen they suffered says tacitus those votaries of a pernicious superstition not indeed that they were guilty of the fire but for their hatred of the human kind we may well ask ourselves the causes of the horror and repugnance here and elsewhere expressed so strongly and which served as a convenient excuse for nero's wanton cruelty guided possibly by the jewish jealousy of his wife pompeia how could the gentle courtesies of the new morality inspire such feelings in the society which watched its growth the jewish race was one which could not in those days mingle peacefully with the peoples of the west in rome and alexandria and others of the great cities of the ancient world there were frequent frays and tumults in the populous quarters where they flocked their peculiar habits and dogged self-assertion stirred the antipathy of their heathen neighbours who had no eyes for their industry and thrift and the nobler aspects of their moral character but the jews had at least an old and national religion which might be borne with so long as its worshippers kept peacefully to their own circles while the christians though really as it seemed of the same race and customs seemed to draw themselves apart in still more obstinate isolation to hold aloof even from their countrymen and exhaust the patience of the world by meaningless disputes about the nice points of spiritual dogmas then let them do so at their cost if they disowned their ancient worship they must forfeit the legal sanction which had screened them hitherto again in the personal bearing of the christians there was much which unavoidably outraged the social sentiments of others for they could not easily take part in the business or pleasures of a world on which the stamp of idolatry was set they must shun the pleasant gatherings of their friends and neighbours if they did not wish to compromise their principles or shock the feelings of the rest by their treatment of the venerable forms of heathendom in family observances at the chief epochs of a roman's life they could not be present to show their sympathy and joy and sorrow for religious usages took place at each and they dared not touch the unclean thing at the recurring seasons of festivity they seemed unmoved amid the general gladness for they could not worship at the altars or join in the ceremonial processions or hang their garlands on the statues of the gods if they enlisted in the legions they might be called upon to adore the genius of the emperor or in case of their refusal be charged with rank disloyalty no wonder if they held themselves aloof from public life when at every turn they were confronted by the forms of a ritual which was accursed in their eyes when their fellow-citizens kept holiday they could not venture to the theatre without a shock to their sense of right and decency while they turned with loathing from the ghastly horrors of the gladiatorial combats they saw the dangers and they felt the force of the allurements to vice by which they were surrounded and they turned away almost with despair from a world which seemed so wholly given over to the power of sensuality and sin they had no eyes for the beauty of an art which was enlisted in the service of idolatry 
nor for the symbolic value of the ancient forms which were one day to be hallowed for church use appealing to a higher standard than the will of caesar or the laws of rome they could not accept the current estimates of men and manners but looked often with a grave displeasure at what seemed innocent to other eyes hence men came to think of them as stern fanatics shunning the pleasures and courtesies of social life sectarians who would cut themselves adrift from all the natural ties of country and of race nay more they were branded even with impiety because they took no part in any recognized forms of worship but shrank from all the common usages of national religion those who visited their homes found no niche or shrine to hold the figures of the guardian lares the oratory which perhaps took its place was empty as the temple at jerusalem which had moved the wonder of the conqueror pompeius from the first they had refused all adoration to a caesar still more emphatically they refused it after the cruelties of a nero had coloured with their stains of blood the apocalyptic visions of antichrist and future judgment in addition to these charges there were others wild delusions of distempered fancy then as in other ages greedily caught up by the credulous and prejudiced masses the simple love feasts held at first in token of brotherhood and thankful memories were perverted into scenes of foul debauch and the stories of accursed pledges cemented by the blood of slaughtered infants such as were told of old bacchanalian orgies or of the conspiracy of catiline passed once more from mouth to mouth finding possibly some poor excuse in eucharistic language misconstrued they were often classed with the professors of magic and of necromancy with the charlatans and quacks of every kind who haunted the low quarters of the town and preyed upon the ignorant fancy of the vulgar yet among these the christians often found their bitterest rivals in the deceivers who feared to be unmasked or to see the profits of their trade endangered when once the suspicion and dislike of the populace were roused against them as impious misanthropes the wildest stories were invented and believed to justify the hatred which was felt if the nile failed to overflow the fields in time of drought if the plague spread its havoc through the towns if harvest failed or earthquakes left their track of ruins the christians were the guilty wretches by whom the wrath of heaven was caused in northern africa we read it was in later days a proverb if there is no rain fix the blame upon the christians in the ignorant antipathy of the lower orders lay the chief danger of the early church and it was on this which nero reckoned when he made it the scapegoat of the blind fury of the people but his cruelty frightful as it was was personal only causing no change of legal status an exceptional moment in a time of toleration the christian religion was not yet proscribed and its professors had little cause to fear the roman governors or judges save when the people clamoured loudly for their blood the reign of domitian indeed is vaguely spoken of as one of persecution but there is little evidence of this in the annals of the time though here and there noble romans like clemens and domitilla may have suffered for lapsing from the creed of their fathers but with the second century of the empire darker times set in in earnest and a general ban was put at last by law upon the christian church 
we may find in Pliny's letters the fullest notice of the change. As governor of Bithynia, he wrote to Trajan from his province to tell him of the new religionists who were brought before his seat of justice, and to ask for instructions how to deal with them. He had never had to do with them before, he said, nor ever sat in court when such cases were brought up. He was doubtful whether the name of Christian should be criminal in itself, or if it would be right to look only to the practice implied in the profession. Information had been sent to him by unknown hands, and many had been denounced to him by name. On inquiry it appeared that while some denied the charge entirely, others admitted that they had been drawn away, though they had ceased to be Christians long ago. When sharply questioned as to the practice and belief of the society to which they had belonged, they said its members used to meet from time to time at break of day, and sing their hymns of praise to Christ, and bind themselves by sacred pledges, not to any deed of darkness, but to keep themselves unstained by fraud and falsehood and adultery. There were stated gatherings besides in which they joined each other in a simple meal, till all such forms of social brotherhood were put away by special edict. To test the truth of such confessions, Pliny had two slave girls tortured, but nothing further was avowed by them nor by the rest, who frankly owned that they were Christians and would not recant or flinch even after repeated threats. Their unyielding obstinacy seemed to the writer of itself to call for punishment, though beyond that he could only find the traces of extravagant delusion. But he shrank from acting on his own discretion without instructions from the emperor himself, so grave were the interests at stake owing to the numbers of every age and sex and social grade whose lives and fortunes were involved. For the contagion, as he called it, had been spreading fast through towns and villages and lonely hamlets. The ancient temples had been almost deserted, and few were found to buy the offerings for the altars, till fear of punishment had lately quickened into life the forms of wonted reverence. Reasons may be urged indeed for doubting the genuineness of this letter, at least in the form in which we have it now, but we may at least accept the reply of Trajan, which was very brief and weighty. He would give no encouragement to official eagerness in hunting out charges of this kind. No anonymous evidence should be accepted. Any Christian should meet with pardon for the past, if they would adore the national gods. But punishment must be enforced on all who stubbornly refused. This rescript formally decided the legal status of the new religion and the proceedings of the imperial agents. The Christian church could now no longer claim the protection which the synagogue enjoyed. The forms and pledges of its union were illegal. Any who would might come forward to inform against them, and governor or judge might not pardon even if he wished. Indeed, even to the enlightened rulers such as Trajan, who were not disposed to credit the gross calumnies of popular fancy, there was much that might seem dangerous in the mysterious influence of the new religion its talk of equality and brotherhood, might sound like the watchword of a social revolution, and the more so as its members were recruited chiefly from the toiling millions. The ties of sympathy between its scattered members were like the network of a widespread conspiracy, whose designs might be political, though masked under religious names. Its meetings, often held at night, were an offence against the legal maxim that no new clubs must be formed or organised 
without the sanction of the civil power the refusal of its members to comply with a few time-honoured forms or to swear even by the emperor's genius seemed like the disloyal wish to break wholly with the past and to parade a cynical contempt for the established powers the obstinate unwillingness to bow even to the will of caesar and the claim to be guided by a higher law had an unwelcome sound in the ears of absolute power some too there were no doubt who pushed their courageous protest to the extreme of discourteous defiance in their sensitive fear of dallying with the forms of idol worship like the soldier who refused to appear before his general with the laurel garland on his head and whose scruples called out a treatise by tertullian in their defence or who else vaunted openly their indifference to death in their impatient longing for the martyr's crown it was probably of such as these that marcus aurelius was thinking when he penned his single reference to the christians saying that the soul should be ready at any moment to be parted from the body not from mere obstinacy as with them but considerately and with dignity without tragic show during the whole period before us there was little change in the attitude of the central power the justice of trajan the refined curiosity of hadrian the humanity and gentle wisdom of the antonines seemed alike insensible to the goodness and the grandeur of the christian morality and alike indisposed to sanction the new influence which was spreading through the heathen world its speedy progress might well seem alarming to the defenders of the established order it has been thought indeed that pliny's letter must have been tampered with in early times since the numbers of the christians are insisted on so strongly by a writer who confesses that beforehand he knew nothing of their tenets yet the churchmen of that age proudly point to the striking signs of onward movement there is no spot upon the earth says justin even among barbarous peoples where the name of the crucified redeemer is not heard in prayer irenaeus thinks that the church is spread through the whole universe and tertullian in the lively phrases of his rhetoric urges we are but of yesterday and we already fill your empire your cities your town councils your camps your palace and your forum we leave you only your temples to yourselves without recourse to arms we might do battle with you simply by the protest of our separation you would be frightened at your isolation and the oldest of the catacombs of rome has seemed to competent observers to point in the forms of its symbolic art to the number of the churchmen who even in that early age laid their dead within these obscured labyrinths of stone this rapid spread of the young church exaggerated as it probably has been was a real element of danger not that the emperors had any persecuting zeal or any wish to hunt the poor victims down but the clamours of the populace grew louder and the provincial governors were often called on to enforce the law without appeal to any higher courts some looked on with indifference from the seat of justice while the crowd of ignoble criminals passed before them marvelling only at the conscientious scruples which declined to sprinkle a few grains of incense on the altars others were glad to court the favour of the people over whom they ruled by the sacrifice of a few stiff-necked zealots fearing also to hear the cry if thou lettest this man go thou art not caesar's friend so we have the striking fact that on the one hand after trajan's rescript 
the lowering clouds seemed to be ever gathering more blackly and the explosions of popular fury grow more frequent on the other hand each of the emperors is represented in church history as doing something to shield the christians from attack or to temper the austerity of justice thus we have the letter sent by hadrian to the governor of asia minor in which he comments strongly on the disorderly attacks upon the christians such as might encourage the malice and extortionate claims of false accusers only indictments in strict legal form should be accepted none should be arrested on vague rumour and none convicted save of acting contrary to law this would amount to virtual toleration unless taken in connection with the rule prescribed by trajan which made it penal to refuse to adore the gods of rome but even as thus qualified it would be a boon to the oppressed as it might tend to check the greed of the informers and strengthen the hands of an impartial judge but the letter itself is not beyond suspicion though far more credible than one which purports to be written by one or other of the antonines to a general assembly of the deputies of asia this message of antoninus pius briefly stated runs somewhat as follows i hold that the gods may be safely left to vindicate their honour on the heads of those who spurn them the christians prefer to die rather than be faithless to the power they worship and they triumph in the contest for they are true to their own principles their neighbours in their panic fear of natural portents and disasters neglect to pray and offer to their gods while they persecute the christians who alone show real religion provincial governors often wrote to my sainted father on this subject and were told not to meddle with the christians unless they were guilty of treason to the state i too would follow the same course of action and have informers warned that they will be liable to penalties themselves if they bring vexatious charges of this sort an imperial mandate couched in such strong terms would certainly have screened the christians from attack and have marked an epoch in the history of the church and as such have been constantly appealed to in the law courts as also in the writings of apologists but it is probable enough that something was done to check the violence of popular feeling or the malice of informers and that we have the traces of such action coloured in after days by grateful feeling or overstated from the fancy that princes so large-hearted and humane must have been in sympathy with the noblest movements of their times End of section fifteen